Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. All right, now here's the test. How many of you know the Bible verse that we memorized last week? A couple of you do. Yeah, Martin's looking at the front of his bulletin because it's right there on the front. All right, there you go. That's how you cheat. First Peter 2.9, if you have your bulletin, <coughs> pull it out. It's on the front of your bulletin. Let's spend a couple minutes. If you weren't with us last week, we spent a few minutes memorizing this passage. This is the New American Standard Version. Uh, actually, no, it's, oh, here we go. This is the NIV version on the front of the bulletin, so don't look at the front of the bulletin. It's going to be different than what we memorized last week. Look at what's on the screen. Here we go. Um, and let's say it together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Look at these four titles of who we are. You, the word you is plural in Greek. You, all of you to whom Peter is writing, which is the church as a large. You are a chosen race. No longer is a race being defined as the descendants of Abraham and the Israelites. You, no matter what ethnic or racial background you come from, you are what? A chosen race. You are a... Think about those two words. Royal priesthood. Those two things don't go together, by the way, right? In the Old Testament, the office of king and priest were separate. David was the king. Samuel was the prophet or priest. Right? Eli, we had priests and we had kings. Now, Jesus is the king and the priest, and he's made us kings and priests. You're a royal priesthood. And we're also a holy nation. Holy nation means we better be careful. Because we worship a holy God and we're called to holiness. And we also are a people for God's own possession. So that... Did I just blow out the speaker? Sorry. So that we may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We once were in darkness, now we're in light, and we are called so that we may proclaim His excellencies. Not so that we can come together and feel good. Not so that we can come together and go, hey, let's just, you know, my laurels are good. I know where I'm going when I die. We are called so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness in to his marvelous light. Amen. Kenzie? If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is page 712. We're going to be in chapter 6 and then in chapter 8. And if you have a Bible, you're going to want to use it today. Because we're going to look at two stories and then something else at the end of those two stories. And uh, we're going to ask ourselves a number of questions. Okay, I've got it, James, but it's not the view I like. Got it. I got it. Okay. Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in Mark chapter 6, verse 32. Uh, We read earlier Luke's version of the feeding of the 5,000. And what we're going to notice is that Mark tells us two stories where Jesus feeds the multitude. So Mark chapter 6, verse 32. It says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving 
recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fishes and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. All right. A, a, a story that many of us are familiar with. If you've grown up in the church at all, you've, you've heard of the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000. But I want you to turn now to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. The story in Mark 6 is very similar to the one in Luke chapter 9 that Mackenzie read earlier in the service. But now I want us to see what happens in Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. During the days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, or called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. But his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Verse 7. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, and he sent them away. Now, it's interesting stories, of course. Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8. In chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. In chapter, seven, chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 with seven loaves of bread and apparently a few fish, but they weren't actually num numbered. Now, the question, of course, is, well, why do we have these stories? You know, why does Mark tell us th the story or these stories? And our common, maybe Sunday school kind of answer is, of course, is to tell us that Jesus is the one who provides for us, right? I mean, you know, we sit in a Sunday school class and we learn this particular story, and, and, and our conclusion of the day is, if you have anything that you need, Jesus can provide it. Fine, right? All right. But here's my first question, and we're going to ask a number of questions. The first question is, is why are there two stories? I mean, if the moral of the story is, is Jesus can provide for us, he can multiply bread and fish and feed the multitudes, that's great, but we don't need two stories to tell us that. We can learn that from the first story. We can learn from the first story that Jesus can multiply bread and fish and feed however many people he wants to feed. Not a problem. So why are there two stories? 
The second story, by the way, raises more questions. For example, why then, a chapter later, did the disciples ask Jesus, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? It's like, guys, are you stupid or what? I mean, all you need is a kid with a sack lunch. If you got a couple loaves of bread, Jesus can multiply it. Don't you remember what he did last week, last month, last year? Whenever it was, don't you remember that? I mean, you've got to imagine, if he multiplied that much bread, you're not going to forget it. Where are we going to find food in this remote place? The, the, the second story raises this question. Why would the disciples go, where are we going to find food to feed them? When it comes to the story itself, by the way, I think, and this is something that I have taught in this passage for years and years and years, and finally, several years ago, I finally, like, whoa, wait a minute. I've been neglecting, and I think oftentimes, our Sunday school lessons on the stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, I think we actually miss perhaps the most important part. The most important part actually occurs in chapter 6, verse 35. It says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. That's an awfully funny question, funny statement. I mean, the disciples are saying, Jesus, it's late in the day, we don't have any food, and we better send these people home before the market closes. The market closed about 6 p.m., and, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So the third question is this. Does Jesus really expect the disciples to feed the people? I mean, this doesn't seem to make much sense. Now, if we were to go into more detail, and I'm going to have to leave some things out, by the way, as much fun as I'm having, because there's a lot more questions to go. But one of the things that we would notice, of course, and, and I'm going to mention it just briefly, is that, between chapter, is that earlier in chapter 6, um, before the feeding of the multitude, Herod uh, uh, had had uh, one of Herod the great sons, uh, the one who kills John the Baptist, Herod had a banquet. And in that banquet, the request is made for John the Baptist's head to be served on a platter. And is the feeding of the multitude in, in chapter 6 to contrast Herod's banquet with Jesus' own banquet? Earlier in the service, we read Isaiah 24 and 25. We read a portion of Isaiah 25 that describes God will give a banquet, a lavish banquet for all the peoples. Someday, Isaiah says, God will come and he'll feed all the peoples. And if you can't see Jesus feeding the multitudes in Isaiah 25, you're missing something. Because Jesus is God coming to feed the multitudes. He's giving his own banquet, and it's going to contrast the banquet with Herod. And if, we don't, if you're not sure about that, just wait. We'll see some more details. So the fourth question is this. Does Mark want us to view Jesus' feeding of the multitude as Jesus' own banquet? In particular, of course, the fulfillment of the, of the promise in the book of Isaiah. All right. Obviously, the question, of course, still remains. Why does he tell us two chapters later about feeding uh, the 4,000? Now, next question. Both passages make reference to Jesus making extra food. Why does Jesus make extra? I mean, in, in chapter 6, they feed the multitudes of 5,000 people, and they pick up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread. And in chapter 8, they feed the multitudes, and they, and they pick up 7 baskets full of extra pieces of bread. Not only does, is it odd that Jesus would even make extra, I mean, he, he's making extra. It seems like he's wasteful. You're, you can create how much bread that they need. You don't need to create extra. But why didn't they just leave it for the birds? 
why do they pick it up? And not only why do they pick it up, but why does Mark even tell us that he meant extra food? Because just him telling us creates a question all, all by itself. But specifically, why did he tell us that they picked up 12 baskets? And why did he pick, tell us that they pick up seven baskets? Couldn't Mark have just said they picked up extra food? Does it really matter how many baskets of bread they're picking up? 12 and 7? I mean, okay, great. The fact that Mark tells us that they're picking up extra bas baskets of bread just raises the question, why did Jesus make extra bread to begin with? Now, it seems like something significant is going on. And if we just read those two stories and we're done, we have these five, six, seven questions that we've asked and, and we really don't know what the answers are. And it seems like, okay, we're done. Moral of the story is, Jesus can provide for your needs whenever you're hungry or lonely or, or needing wisdom or whatever. Jesus will provide. And we're done. But Mark doesn't stop telling us the story. Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go back to the Mark chapter 8 now. And let's pick it up in verse 13. All right, and you're going to notice something strange. Mark 8, verse 13. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Doesn't that sound a little strange? He just fed 5,000 people. A chapter and a half later, he feeds 4,000 people. They get in the boat, and the disciples are like, oh, I forgot to... We picked up all those baths of bread. We should have like grabbed a few for ourselves. We don't have any bread. But wait a minute. They do have bread. It says they had one loaf. Did they pick up bread, or do they not? Do they have bread, or do they not have... They don't have any bread with them, and the, but do they have bread? So the question number seven. What does it mean that they forgot bread, but they had one loaf? Let's keep reading, verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. See, I told you Herod was important. Jesus brings him back up. Now, yeast, of course, reminds us of bread. Yeast is an important product to make the bread rise. But yeast, of course, could also be a metaphor, as was commonly used, a metaphor for evil influences. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Watch out for their evil influences. Uh, Paul will say, a, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. All you need is a little bit of corruption and it'll corrupt the whole body. Right? So Jesus is speaking metaphorically, symbolically, maybe parabolically. Uh, in, in, in a parable, I mean. Right? Now, let's go to verse 16. Uh, verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Verse 16. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. The reason why Jesus is picking on us and asking us about the yeast of the Pharisees, it's because we have no bread, right? Now, by the way, they're discussing with one another means Jesus is not part of this conversation. But notice, notice verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Now we know something's going on. Well, how do you know something's going on? Well, two factors. In the Gospel of Mark, when people are discussing matters, the disciples were discussing in verse 16 with one another, it's because we have no bread. When people are discussing matters in the Gospel of Mark, it's always the people trying to figure out what Jesus means. Jesus will do something, 
In Mark chapter 2, he, he heals a, a man that was paralyzed. They lower on the mat and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees discuss one, with one another why and how he could forgive sins. When people are discussing matters, they're trying to figure out what Jesus means without Jesus' help. But the second part is, as Jesus says, do you not see or understand? And Jesus will say, do you not see or understand whenever he tells a parable. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, he tells the parable of the sower that we looked at a few weeks ago. A sower goes out to sow seeds. Some of the seed falls on the roadside and the birds snatch it away. Do you not see or understand? No, Jesus, we don't get it. Well, let me explain. The sower is the word of the, the seeds are the word of God. And the, soil, the, the seed that was sown on the roadside and the birds snatched away, that's the devil. The devil snatches it away from those people before it can even sink into their heart. Do you not see or understand is Jesus' clue words that I just told you a parable. There's something far deeper and far more significant to what I've done or what I've said than what you're seeing. You see, in Mark 6 and Mark 8, Jesus doesn't tell a parable. He does one. Now, they're true stories. I believe he really did multiply the bread and he really did feed the people. But he wants the disciples to see something far deeper and far more significant. And they haven't figured it out. We don't have any bread. Yes, you do. We have one loaf. No, we don't have any. Look at verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000... How many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered. They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And everyone out there is going, yeah, I, I still don't understand. The disciples get it. And the story of Mark stops right there. And Mark goes on to another story. Mark actually expects his readers to understand it, but we're a little bit lost. Note, of course, that Jesus brings up to remembrance, how many baskets did you pick up? Okay, on, how, what about this occasion? How many baskets did you pick up? Now we know why Mark is telling us. We thought it was important that Mark was telling us that they picked up ba baskets of bread because it was kind of odd, because it raises the question, why did he make extra bread? Does it matter if they pick up 12 baskets or 7 baskets? Apparently it does. So let's see if we can figure out what this might mean. Here we go. First thing I want to point out is this. Kind of a, a side note, but it's not a side note to the whole message this morning. Verses 41 and 42 of chapter 6. Mark 6, 41 and 42. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Note that it doesn't say that Jesus multiplied the bread. Mark's gospel, and Luke might indicate that Jesus did it, but Mark's gospel leaves out who actually did the miracle. He divides the bread amongst the twelve, and the twelve just keep feeding the people. Did the bread multiply when Jesus gave it to the disciples? Or did the bread multiply as the disciples fed the people? Because if it multiplied as the disciples fed the people, then the disciples did the miracle. 
Jesus says, you give them something to eat. But we can't. Yes, you can. Let me show you. And the disciples perhaps may well have done it. You see, I think the thing that we're learning from this passage is this. Jesus has shown them that he is the source of the bread. He's not just the bread of life. He's the source of the bread. Let's go back for a second. Did they have a loaf of bread in the boat or not? They were discussing with the fact that they had no bread. Mark chapter 8. But they had one loaf. But then Jesus but watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Oh, he's saying that because we didn't bring any bread. Do they have any bread? Yes, it's Jesus. Jesus was the one loaf in the boat. He fed 5,000 and showed them, I'm the bread. He fed 4,000 and said, I'm the bread. Do you get it? No. We don't have any bread. Yes, you do. You have all the bread in the boat you need. You don't need any other bread but me. And the disciples still don't get it. But then, of course, the question is, is why the extra bread? Why the leftovers? Why 12 baskets? And why 7 baskets? And if we were to go a little bit more detail uh, this morning, which we won't, we would note that when Jesus fed the 5,000 in chapter 6, he apparently was on the Galilean side of the lake. And if some of you remember the map I showed a few weeks ago, and I apologize I didn't put it in the slides this morning, um, but the Sea of Galilee, uh, the northern part of modern-day Israel, and the northwestern shore, the western and northern shore uh, of the Sea of Galilee is the region of Galilee. And it's Jewish. And it appears when he fed the 5,000, and when they picked up the 12 baskets, it was amongst the Jewish people. If we follow carefully and note they got into a boat and went to the other side, Mark is telling us they went from one side to the other, from the other side back to the other. Because the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8 was on the Gentile side of the lake, an area called the Decapolis. Where, if you remember from a few weeks ago, Jesus had cast out the demons out of the man in Gadara. All right. Now, what does it mean? Well, 12 is a number throughout the Bible, and this is not reading anything into the story. We know that 12 baskets are important because Jesus asked them, how many baskets did you pick up? We know the seven baskets are important because he asked them, how many baskets? 12 is a number that represents God's people. Throughout scriptures, in the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel made up the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, there are 12 apostles. We can, you know, the New Jerusalem at the end of the Bible, last two chapters of the Bible, there are 12 gates and there are 12 pearls at the gates. There are 12 foundation stones. The wall, the city of the New Jerusalem, is 144 cubits thick, which is 12 times. We can go on and on and on. The number 12 represents God's people. The number 7 in Scripture commonly, if not almost always, represents completion or perfection or totality, and it's often used for God. Certain names for God appear seven times. Uh, you might be familiar in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am seven times in the Gospel of John. Seven, of course, is the number of days in creation. God created the world in seven days, and then he rested, right? Or six days and rested. There's a week. It's, it's perfection. It's completion. It's totality. Seven, tw if 12 represents Israel, then seven represents the world. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation that represent all of Christ Christendom. So why the leftovers? And the answer is this. Now they have sufficient supply to feed Israel 
and the nations. Let me explain. Jesus started this par these two stories off with, you give them something to eat. You feed them. Now remember in Luke chapter 9, it follows the story of Jesus sending the 12 out. I'm going to send you out. He brings them back and says, okay, great. Now you feed these people. Jesus, we can't feed these people. We don't know how to feed these people. Let me show you how. And he multiplies the bread and says, I'm the source of bread. Now you've got 12 baskets. Surely that is enough bread to feed Israel after I'm gone. Now we're going to go, us Westerners go, well, the bread's going to rot. But it's a parable. Do you not see or understand? In other words, the, the deeper meaning is, is in the parable. Do you not see? I've given you enough bread to feed Israel. And then seven baskets means I've given you enough bread to feed the nations too. You are fully equipped to feed everybody you need to feed. Do you not see or understand? Oh, now I get it. supply so they can do this on their own. Right, so why all the leftovers? Sorry, I, didn't, I had the wrong slide up. Now they have sufficient supply to feed Israel and the nations. Alright, now let's ask ourselves the question, what does this mean for us this morning? And there's more fun that I've left out, but that's okay, I'll do it later. Number one, we must recognize that we are called to be the means through which God makes himself known to the nations. The story is not different than last week's story for those of you that were with us last week. Jesus sends the 12 out. He sends the 70 out. He sends the disciples out. He's sending us out. If you weren't with us last week, at the end of the service, last week we said, look, we are all commissioned to be God's mouthpiece, to be the voice of making God known. You are chosen so that you may proclaim His excellencies. We said normally when we send people on a mission trip, and when the, when the youth go on the mission trip in August, we'll have them come forward and pray over them before they leave. When we send people out on a mission trip, we pray over one another, we lay hands on one another. Well, last Sunday we said we're all sending, we're sending every one of us out. And we all came forward and we prayed over one another. But now our answer is, but I can't go, Pastor, because I don't know how to do it. You give them something to eat. I, 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 how do I do that? I don't have any bread. We have all that we need. We have all that we need. Number two, our task is to feed the people. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. We do it. We all do it. Number three, we can only accomplish this task by submitting ourselves daily to the one who is the bread of life. All you need is me, Jesus says. All you need is me. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? You have a loaf in the boat. Now some of us will think, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not capable. You know, we, we asked the question last week, or made the point, excuse me, last week that says, you know, uh, it's the pastor's job. It, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the missionary's job. It, it's those who are paid. It's their job to do it. I, I, I'm not good at it. I don't know what to do. I'm not trained. I'm not equipped. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. Henry Blackaby says, when we think that God cannot use a person like ourselves, 
It says more about our belief about God than about us. Let me say that again. When, when we think about, when we think that God cannot use a person like ourselves, it says more about our belief about God than about ourselves. I'm not good enough, God. You can't use me. Try somebody else. I'm not trained enough. I'm not equipped enough. I'm not prepared enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not, what, I'm not whatever enough. God, even you can't use me. See what we're saying? And the answer is, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are uniquely equipped to to speak to and live out the gospel in front of the people whom God has for you. Now, it might not hurt to get more equipped. It might not hurt to go to Bible studies. It might not hurt to attend prayer meetings. It might not hurt to have a Bible and have a devotional time and to learn more. Certainly, we can always learn better and do better. But we've been called and we've been equipped to fulfill a task. Now, let me add to this. When Jesus fed the multitudes, he gave them food that was part of their cultural food. He didn't give them Chinese food or Italian food. He didn't give them food that they don't, you know, green beans. Because who likes green beans? Uh, hey, yeah, okay, there's a few of you weirdos are out there, I know, whatever. All right, all right. All right. The reality is this. You see, if, uh, when, uh, when Tony and I, we were trying to teach our kids to eat good food, right? I do not eat green beans, sorry. And I didn't mean to call you weirdos. I apologize for that. Dear Father in heaven, I repent and whatever else I need to do. All right. Um, but we were trying to teach our kids to, to eat good food. So Jared, our youngest son, uh, must have been about a year, year and a half old, uh, we're feeding him a green bean. And, and he's sitting in the swing and he's swinging back and forth. And we gave him a green bean and boom, it just pops right out. So we give him a green bean, boom, it pops right out. So we cover the green bean in whipped cream. Right? And he gets the whipped cream, and then boom, the green bean comes flying right out. All right? See, we can't feed him. He will starve to death. If the only food we gave him, he doesn't like. It's important to understand that as we feed the nations, as we're given the food to feed the nations, we have to go into a, in, in a way in which we're culturally relevant, in, in, which we're, in which we're able to connect with the people to whom God has called us. Now, let me be careful here, because we can go too far with this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing alive. It is good news. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is Lord. But it's also something people don't like. So that means now we're giving them food that they're already maybe not going to like. Because Jesus is Lord means I'm not. You're not. My money's not. My power's not. Sex is not. Drugs is not. Alcohol is not. Jesus is Lord. So once we recognize that, we need to realize, okay, I need to give them food that I'm hoping that they're going to like. So I'm going to give it to them as best I can in this way, I'm not going to feed them foods they're not going to like at all, but in the end, they may not like it still. 
because ultimately the food is Jesus. And unfortunately, not everyone likes it or wants it. What they need is Jesus. They don't need to adopt my eating habits, my likes, or my preferences. They need Jesus. Let's be reminded of that. Now, that being said, we're going to come to the table for communion here in just a moment. And we did communion at the end of the service today because today we are being commissioned again to go out. We're being commissioned. I said last week there are people that I can't reach that only you can. It can't be the pastor's job because I can't reach some of the people that you have relationships with. You're, so as we come to this table, we're going to be reminded of Jesus. But we're also going to be reminded that we are to be broken. Just like Jesus did and was for us, so we also are to be broken for them. And as we come before the table, I want you to think about people that God has put on your heart for you to feed them. You give them something to eat. And pray for yourself and others in your family that, are, that know Christ or whoever it may be in your community so that you can be a witness to that person or to those people. Or maybe it's somebody you don't know. Somebody you're going to meet tomorrow or the next day. And you're going to ask, God, give me that divine appointment to have this conversation right now. I'm totally afraid. I don't know what I'm going to say. But all I know, all I need is you. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty and depth of the gospel story. And there's so much more in this story that we haven't even unpacked this morning. The intricacy in which Mark has written his gospel, telling us two stories, not just for the simple Sunday school lesson of how you provide, which is true, but to show us a greater depth and richness that as you called Abraham to be the means to which the nations are, are chosen, so now you've fed Israel and fed the nations and given us enough food to feed Israel and enough food leftovers to feed the nations. We have all that we need. So Lord, we know that in and of ourselves we are not worthy to come before this table because we, like Isaiah, are a sinful people and we live among a sinful people. So we confess our sins this morning. Acknowledging, Lord, that you are Lord and we are not. We ask your forgiveness for the times of anger, for our times of frustration or lust, for our times of greed and envy, for our times of murder and hatred, for our times of gluttony. We ask your forgiveness for our self-centeredness and our greediness. And we thank you that we can be forgiven by the blood of the Lamb and by a, a God who forgives. As you promised that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Lord, we don't just confess those sins this morning. We ask that you would cleanse us of them so that we would not have to come next week and repent of the same sins. That we can begin to more and more and more be like Jesus more and more consistently. And at least maybe next week we'll have just less sins to repent of and more things to rejoice of. And we pray, Father, this morning as we come to this table that we would recognize the sacrifice of the cross 
and that we too, as we'll see next week, are called to take up our crosses and follow you. And so we come to this communion table as a symbol that we are taking up our crosses and following you, even if it means to death. What will they think when we say that Jesus is Lord? They may kill us, but we don't fear the one who can kill the body because we have a Lord who can resurrect our body and soul to life eternal. So we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to be bold, to be faithful, to have faith and trust in you. And as we contemplate during this communion time, those whom you have put in our lives that we have been called to feed. And maybe feeding them is building a a relationship with them and just building trust and a friendship with them. Maybe feeding them is caring for them and serving them. Maybe feeding is proclaiming the gospel in words. Lord, we lift them up. That next week as we come, we'll have a guest with us. And the week after that, we'll have two guests with us. And the week after that, more and more as we invite people, maybe over the next six months or the next year, we invite a guest because we've been feeding them. Because you gave us food and we hunger no more. So we thank you for all that you've given to us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So communion reminds us first and foremost, of the body and blood of Christ. But communion reminds us of the fact that we are called to lay down our lives for one another. Matthew 5, Jesus says that if anyone is coming to the altar and there remember that his brother has something against him, leave your way, go, go your way, first be reconciled. <coughs> Excuse me. And then come and present your offerings at the altar. But thirdly, and greatly, communion reminds us of the feeding of the multitudes. It reminds us of the fact that Jesus is the source of provision and that someday we'll be in that eternal banquet where we will hunger no longer and thirst anymore. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.